Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. All right. I'll tell you what. Here's where I want to start. I want to start with thanking Jesse James and the Dangerous Info podcast and Truth for Oxford. We had a great discussion on Saturday morning about school boards and specifically the Oxford, Michigan Crumbly shooting and that entire situation with Bobby Roop and Kristen Carr. It is over on the Dangerous Info podcast Rumble channel. It is episode 125. Excuse me if you're interested in checking that out. And, uh, and, and there's one slight revision in that, in that conversation that I forgot to mention and I should have. During the discussion, I was bringing up again how specifically to flatten these school boards and school districts permanently, and certainly at the very least put them in a complete tailspin and a situation of utter chaos that they cannot control, all due, of course, to a lack of participation and a lack of student attendance. That the more parents pull their children out, that makes them insolvent, which then, of course, they have to try to spin plates and uh, juggle bowling pins that are on fire, and they don't know how to do that. So the state intervenes and so on and so on. I think I said that if everybody leaves, that's what would happen. And that's not true. Well, it is true, but it doesn't have to be everybody who leaves. You've heard me on the show bring up the percentage of 11%. If it's over 11%, that will, that will start to put a school district into a state of insolvency. And that's a good thing. That causes them, again, to make particular cuts to programs, make particular cuts to people, and a variety of other things. And if that number then goes up even more, well past 11%, into 15 20%, they can't remain open. So it's not a matter of no one has to go anymore or uh, everybody has to leave at the exact same time. Bobby and, and Kristen brought it up very specifically. They said there's a clear dripping effect that is, a, you know, a slow drip of people leaving the district, which is great. They said something like just under 10% of the, of the population left after, after the shooting where four people died. Again, that's, that's a very smart move, and that's a good thing. But if more and more people start leaving, clearly the better. But it doesn't have to be everybody at once. Again, that's what I mentioned on the episode there, but it can be, again, an 11 to 15% shift immediately. And then again, once that continues to increase, then it's game over for them. The school district, again, is, is going to fold. And that's ultimately the plan here. Again, I understand that a number of individuals, of course, all across the United States believe that there are excellent services for students regardless of the situation and that they are dependent on these services. And, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a double-edged sword to some extent. And there's a flip side to that coin, which is the answer is yes, but at the exact same time, if families reorient the way that they think about things, they themselves as the family can be the service that their children need. And that's kind of the point. Again, I, I, I would rather have there be more family dependency on the raising of a child. The way that we're seeing, of course, now where more grandparents are, are intervening and in, in helping, raise, helping raise their grandchildren, whereas the previous generation didn't do that, really. But we're seeing more of that now, and a lot of that 
I think th there are numerous factors in it. Number one, unfortunately, is we have more working individuals, of course, and we have more working mothers, which is problematic and also part of the Rockefeller satanic plan to tax people. We're, I mean, we are well aware of that. The other aspect, of course, is that you have a generation of young parents that seem to have forgotten the way that they were raised. And so sometimes they're putting more dependence on this, that, or the other when, when their focus should be their children. So there's that aspect too. And then, of course, government intervention and the reliance on government and brainwashing individuals into believing that they need government and that government is the solution. Getting away from all of those things and getting back more to a family-oriented lifestyle, permanent lifestyle, without government intervention or government process as much as humanly possible, that right there is the way to go in, in my professional and personal opinion. So again, when it comes to school enrollment, if you want to crush them and you want to put them all in a state of panic, it doesn't have to be that everybody leaves at once. That would be a perfect world. But if the percentage of absence occurs around and above the 11% range or 12% range, then it's game over for them. They're not going to know what to do. So just something to think about there. And again, I would recommend bouncing over there and checking that episode out if you're interested. It's episode 125 of the Dangerous Info podcast. So again, my thanks to Kristen Carr, uh, Bobby Roop, and Jesse James for the discussion. It was a lot of fun. And like Jesse said, if more information comes out of that Oxford school district, it really is a case study in what happens with a school district after an actual shooting, not a fake one. Because again, notice how nobody's talking about that Nashville Presbyterian school anymore. Strange. And again, no one lost their job in that situation. Strange. Same thing with Uvalde. No one's talking about Uvalde anymore. Nobody lost their job. Isn't that strange? That's because those two shootings didn't happen, but this one did. And there you go. Unfortunately, the you know very similar things still occur. People show up, like they were saying, for photo ops, and the local and state politicians show up for photo ops, and then they leave. And then all hell breaks loose because, again, there's a lack of trust, but to still send your children back to an environment where there's a complete lack of trust, where people have been murdered, well... Ultimately, the responsibility lies with the parents in that regard. And like I say in the episode, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. And unfortunately, one of them is a lack of becoming familiar with what homeschooling really means. And it doesn't mean, as Jesse stated, it doesn't mean leaning over your child and watching every single thing that they're doing, but giving them a framework like a Becca.com and then allowing that framework to just be an ever-present thing. And then, of course, they have the freedom to learn in other avenues. So there you go. Again, my thanks to Jesse for that. I'll even link that episode in the description below if anybody is interested in checking that out. Okay. The UNLV fake shooting. Speaking of shootings, uh, although this one did not happen, I don't think anyway. The UNLV shooting from last week was beyond strange. There were certainly crisis actors who were being interviewed. Nobody seemed panicked. Nobody was crying. It was nothing like that. Uh, no students lost their lives. In fact, I haven't heard of any other people who actually lost their lives. There was just this, the open tale of, well, 
a couple of staff members and a faculty member died and the shooter died and that was it. But again, they were even claiming that the shooter admired uh, George Soros and had ties to Freemasonry and a number of other things. And I thought to myself, okay, even the Gateway Pundit is reporting on that. Is that supposed to somehow convince us that this wasn't fake? All that does is (laughs) lend more evidence that it actually was fake. But they're doing this again for gun grabs. That's the whole point. So as I've stated before, always start with the fact that it probably didn't happen. Let that be your starting point. Make them show you evidence. And if it doesn't make sense and the evidence they're showing you doesn't make sense, then you have to lean toward it didn't happen. So just wanted to bring that to your attention. Okay. Um, I mentioned this previously. I'm doing a lot of housekeeping here at the beginning. My apologies, but I want to go back and correct a couple of things. I made a previous reference to the 1776 Project Pact, or PAC rather the political uh, action committee thing there, and that there was a Jewish man who was apparently running this 1776 Project PAC. This, as it turns out, is apparently different. I thought they were the same, and they are not. This is different from the 1776 Commission. The 1776 Commission was the thing that Donald Trump was interested in, I believe, I still have that PDF on my website, I'm not sure, but it was designed to basically attempt to teach an accurate history of America back in school, which we know wouldn't really be an accurate telling of history, but that right there again uh, should prove how, how deep the rabbit hole goes here on a lot of this information, but either way, those two things are not the same allegedly. I mean, they, they you know the individuals in charge of both know each other, clearly. Um, they're probably friends behind the scenes, and it could be, again, the, uh, the illusion of there being two separate organizations. But either way, based on name recognition alone and title, they are not the same thing. So my apologies on that. Uh, there is also this, and I haven't mentioned this, I don't think, before. I've put it on Gab, of course, and I put it in the war videos, but I hope I, I get her name correct. A Janet... Osser Sand, if I'm, if I'm saying that right, she's one of the two authors and creators of the Fall for the Cabal, Fall of the Cabal movies and, and many documentaries that have been produced over the years here and certainly throughout this entire war. They are fantastic documentaries, without a doubt. Uh, they are current. They ask a lot of questions. They provide a lot of fact. And Janet, one half of of the team there, it's her and her partner, if I'm not mistaken. Both of them, of course, have have been creating these. But Janet has apparently been missing for quite some time, and that still seems to be the case. Uh, There's no indication of a death. There's no indication of a suicide, even as I'm recording this today, and uh, which is on Sunday, Sunday about midday, and. yeah, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. They have a, a Telegram channel, Fall of the Cabal, or The Fall of the Cabal, or Fall Cabal. I'm sorry, it's it's one of those two, or one of those three, but um, yeah. Either way, you know, is this a deep state play? I don't know. You know, was she kidnapped? I don't know, but um, just pray for her, I guess. Certainly pray for her, and 
and her family and her friends. And uh, yeah, that, that that's a, a horrible situation without a doubt. So wanted to make wanted to make mention of that. Okay. A couple other things from last week. There is this too. A friend of the show who teaches in Virginia sent this to me. And they said, of course, last week you mentioned how the FBI and Director Ray testified to Congress, in particular, I believe, the Senate Judiciary Committee on the issue of going after Catholic churches and basically designating them as terrorist organizations or something along those lines and infiltrating them and surveilling them and so on. I, of course, didn't have any details about this, but wouldn't you know it? Our friend here in Virginia has sent me this, and they know a great deal about it. Here's what they sent me. They said, Sean, I can speak to the Latin Mass Catholics here in Virginia that were targeted as terrorists. It's a witch hunt. They came to where I go to Mass and mainly just roamed around the parking lot, lots of getting license plate info several times. They are shutting down the Latin Masses in Virginia. Uh, part of Pope's radical agenda, they said. They said they try to infiltrate, and I'm sure that they have. Freemasons infiltrated Catholic Church, which led to Vatican II. My traditional church does not adopt Vatican II or modernism. They said uh, they're also all anti-vax in tradition, so the movement and are during in the movement, and we continued having mass outside. During the pandemic, no masks, etc. We are rebels. Stupid Southern Poverty Law Center listed us as terrorists, uh, and most of them homeschool also, and all are homeschooled, as it turns out. So there you go. That's why they went after them. They went after them because they're doing the right thing. They went after them because they are anti government, they are anti establishment, they are pro freedom, and I applaud them. That's fantastic. But it's also Bolshevism. That's the sad part. The tactic that's being used against them is Bolshevism. And this is really what continues to disturb me the most, is the normalization of Bolshevism on both sides of the political spectrum. Again, the, the hypocrisy is absolutely incredible when it comes to these media outlets. The so-called conservative media outlets have no idea that the thing that they're advocating for is Bolshevism. Bolshevism is Jewish. It's Zionistic. That's where the tactic comes from. It is militant as well. That's where you get Antifa. This was, again, this was the massive problem that was pervasive all throughout Europe in the early 1900s and certainly well into the early 30s before moves were made specifically by Germany and individuals who were anti-communist, anti-Marxist, and anti-Bolshevik within those countries themselves. And they did what they had to do to fight off all of those evil elements. And they were successful in many ways. They jailed many of them. They executed many of them because, again, they were openly fighting against the freedom and independence of their own people. But this is a tactic that has been replicated in the United States, specifically among the useless eaters, um, the, useless, the, the useful idiots, wh whatever phrase you want to use. The, the, the word manipulation is so strong on these people that they don't even think to look up the definitions of what they are. They don't even think that the very thing that they are seeing has a name 
a history, a definition, and wow, we'd better look up what that actually is. Again, you've heard me bring up the the real definition from a historic standpoint, the term of fascism. Fascism did not d- does not mean what people think that it means. It was a word that was created in Italy by Mussolini and his administration as a direct counter to Bolshevism. That if you were a nationalist and you loved your country and you were anti-Bolshevik, then that meant that you were a fascist. But that's not the way that you hear the word today. You hear the word today be manipulated to be the exact opposite. And, and the funny part is, is that Bolshevism is the word that isn't used, is it? You're not hearing individuals accuse one another of being Bolsheviks. And that's too bad, because that word needs to make a comeback in its proper form, because that's what the enemy is doing. That, that is the problem here. So let me get into this now, too, because this kind of wraps up a little bit of what was happening at the end of last week, and certainly over the weekend. You heard me play the audio from the congressional hearing on, quote-unquote, again, another fake made-up word, anti-Semitism throughout university and college campuses, specifically some of the larger Ivy League schools. Here we have the University of Pennsylvania, and then there was also MIT, Harvard, and I believe another one. And then, of course, Elise Stefanik did whatever she could to hold back as many tears as, and, and fake crocodile tears as possible, screaming that you know, if you have freedom of speech and it just happens to be against someone who's Jewish or someone who is claiming to be a Zionist, which means that they're claiming to be an atheist, that's what that word means, um, that all of the sudden that anybody who's criticizing them needs to be immediately removed from the university and should be thrown off a cliff. Now, that's not what she said the second part, but she wants them to be admonished and she wants them to, she wants them to go through a Bolshevik discipline policy. So Elise Stefanik, again, is Jewish and she's advocating for Bolshevism. This should not shock anybody. It does not matter what side of the political aisle you sit on. It's being exposed right now. And I think that this is one of the largest things that is, is going on right now at this moment is that the American public is seeing that their entire government is Bolsheviks and adopting Bolshevism as their approach. The Gateway Pundit is openly a Bolshevik organization now as a media outlet because they are advocating for anybody who is criticizing someone who is Jewish or saying that they're a Zionist to be outed, to be rooted out. Again. They apparently don't know the definition of irony, because these are the same exact people that scream at the top of their lungs and use the derogatory term Nazi to describe the quote-unquote Gestapo going from door-to-door, kicking in doors, and, and throwing Jews out into the streets. Without any context, that sounds terrible. The problem is, back then, the Gestapo were specifically organized to root out communism and underground communism. That was the point. It really is that simple. So if you were to ask the Hoft brothers, for example, of the Gateway Pundit, or you were to ask anybody, any of these politicians, what do you think about rooting out communism? What do you think about, and then this is where, again, they would, they would panic, 
what do you think about rooting out Bolshevism and see what they say? I would love to have the opportunity to, uh, to testify in front of Congress about the state of education and American education. They would never give me that opportunity. You see, I'm, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here regarding Congress, but it's not an accident that they bring these people like the Riley Gaineses and the Candace Owenses of the world and other individuals. And why they bring these people to the forefront to speak about a subject for which they really have never actually worked in, let alone been a whistleblower in or, or anything else along those lines. Because they don't want, they certainly don't want someone like me in front of them because I would call them all out for, for advocating for Bolshevik tactics. I would give them a history lesson on these words, and they don't want the public to know that. Again, that's why you heard in the last episode that, that Republican congressmen from California start to shut that leftist black woman down when she was actually providing him an accurate answer. And, he, and she did answer his question when it came to, you know, do, do kids belong in the same bed? And she goes, I don't think any students should be sleeping in the same room with one another under any circumstance. That's a, that's a very objective down the middle answer. But he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. So he was like, oh, okay, thank you. Well, you didn't answer my question. And then he just kind of quickly moved on. This is the problem, is, is that clarity matters here in, in moments like this. An accurate examination of history and language matter in moments like this. And unfortunately, Bolshevism is continuing to be perpetuated among all sides of our government. Both the name-calling, the tactics, the admonishment, um, and now, of course, the rooting out of individuals and shaming them to the point where they step down from their positions. So this was from NBC News. It's titled, University of Pennsylvania President Steps Down Amid Criticism of Anti-Semitism Testimony. Let's work that headline backwards. There was no anti-Semitism testimony that she gave. Liz McGill the former now president of the University of Pennsylvania, said nothing that criticized Jews. Anti-Semitism isn't a real word. It's made up. But she didn't say anything that criticized them because, again, she was standing up for the Constitution and the First Amendment. But see, Zionists don't like the Constitution, and they don't like freedom of speech and freedom of thought. They, they don't like any of this. They want everybody else to be criticized except for Jews and Bolsheviks and Zionists. So I feel bad for Liz McGill. She didn't have a tough enough spine, but it's also proof that the leftist snake eats its own tail all of the time. And the Bolshevik snake eats its own tail. You know, it's, it, uh, you've heard me say again that the, end of Bolshevism is the same for everybody, including the Bolshevik. It's your head up against a concrete wall with a gun in the side of your temple or the back of your head, and then a trigger gets pulled. That happens even to the Bolshevik themselves. And this right here is proof. So again, it says the chair of the Penn Board of Trustees announced that Liz McGill has voluntarily stepped down as president of the Ivy League school. She let out this particular uh, Twitter post again where she was kind of backtracking um, 
in, in adding a number of other things, she said, quote, I was not focused on, but I should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetuate, she said in the video. It's evil, plain and simple. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the double standard can't get brighter, can it? The double standard is massive here, because if you said the same thing regarding Palestinians, you'd get a medal as far as they're concerned. We're calling for the complete flattening of Gaza and the Gaza Strip and Palestinians, you know, we should give them no quarter. It's not an either or thing. This is a religious war. It's an ideological war. There are endless Christians who exist in the Gaza Strip. There are, in, there are at least half a dozen, if not more, Christian churches that existed in the Gaza Strip. They may not exist anymore. This is Zionism against Christianity also. And people have to understand that. So look around you. Look at, look at what the people are saying. Pay attention to what these people are saying. Pay attention to the tactics that they're employing here. Because it's not good, because it's all Bolshevism. Again, I could play word games with all of these statements and just replace the term Jew with white, Palestinian, Christian. Uh, you could even throw in black if you wanted to, Asian, Hispanic. It wouldn't matter. Here, here's another quote. It said, quote, Any statements that advocate for the systematic murder of Jews are dangerous and revolting. This was a, a statement from uh, the White House spokesman, uh, Andrew Bates. He said, uh, he continued and said, and we should all stand firmly against them on the side of human dignity and most basic values that unite us as Americans. It can't get more hypocritical. Dignity and fairness are not what these people are interested in. They are interested, again, in their way or the highway, their way or imprisonment, their way or death. That is Bolshevism. I could read the entire article. It's absolutely horrible. It's written by a Daniel Arkin, also Jewish. It just, it, it never ends here. But Bolshevism is our enemy, Zionism is our enemy, and Zionist Jews are the enemy. This is, this is just a fact. These individuals do not want people to live in peace. These are not individuals that want people to be left alone. They want complete and utter control. And notice I specified Zionistic Jews. Again, there is a difference. There is a difference between someone who is of Jewish bloodline and is a Christian. That is a peace-loving, God-knowing individual. I do not have qualms with that person. But in the last war video, for example, I played a clip from Fox News. It was breaking. Fox News. I, I mean, I couldn't even believe that this was some breaking report. And it was a, allegedly a female student at, the, at NYU. And she's basically talking about, and she openly screams it into the microphone, I'm a proud Jew and a proud Zionist. I, she doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know what that really means. But she's saying it. And then she continues to scream that walking around NYU is, is beyond horrific. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. Zionists were the ones who made NYU what it is, which is as multicultural as humanly possible. So now all of the sudden, if she's telling the truth, which let's face it, she's not, 
She's claiming that she doesn't like the thing that the people that she supported created. It doesn't get more hypocritical than that. The whole multicultural, let's all race mix, melting pot mentality, which, which leads directly to the elimination of white people, that right there is Zionistic. It's satanic as well. That's the problem. And that's the issue. And she, again, for some reason, she was able to make her way up to the lectern and was invited to do so and scream that at the top of her lungs. And this is backfiring. I also played an audio of that as well with a, with a woman talking with, uh, she, I think she was a, a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army or Navy, certainly the U.S. Armed Forces, but she was talking with Andrew Napolitano, the former Fox News judge and uh, employee and contributor. And she openly said, this is, this is going to backfire. This is going to backfire on Israel, the likes of which people cannot comprehend. People are tired of hearing the term anti-Semitism. It, it carries no weight anymore. Someone screams it and yells it, and it, it, just makes them, it just makes the person listening to it angry or hearing it angry. It's like calling everybody a racist. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure it ever did. For those of us who know what, who knew that the that the term is completely made up, but uh, th- that right there is part of the issue. They've overstayed their welcome. They're beating a dead horse. It's not going to work. It isn't going to work. They're just going to eventually get laughed at, and they're already being laughed at. So there, therein lies the issue. But this is, again is a product of the American school system. This is a product of a failure to understand real history and continue to use the life that we've been given by God to continue to learn. We can't possibly speak about these things in an objective, accurate standpoint if we aren't consistently learning and consistently unlearning. And again, the American K-12 and university school systems don't want that to happen because they themselves running the institutions don't want to do that. So if the institutions don't want to unlearn and then relearn, and the people doing the teaching, so to speak, which it's not that, it's indoctrinating, they've been misled and brainwashed too. And they don't want their students doing it because they themselves aren't doing it. It's just, again, it's the cycle of abuse all over again, and it's the cycle of brainwashing, and it's the cycle of torture, which I I would say is far worse than than your, your average abuse. It's a level of mind manipulation that generations of people will never get out of if they don't just stop doing what they're doing and leave. But again, to President McGill, she, she should have had a, harder, a tougher spine at, there at the University of Pennsylvania, but this is what she signed up for. The mob got a hold of her and the mob took her down. And again, she could have denied the invitation to show up, she could have completely denied the invitation to testify in front of Congress. She should have said, sorry, I'm, I'm busy. I have other engagements. Good luck with your committee and take care. And she could have written him a note and sent it back. But she doesn't understand Bolshevism. And real Bolsheviks and real Zionists, like Elise Stefanik, they want everybody to go down. Because Elise Stefanik thinks that she's going to get more in return. Well... That's a, that's a very, that's a biblical thing there, because Elise Stefanik has no idea what she's signed up for, and she's been tricked, and she's, uh, she's picked the wrong side. So 
That's my summary on all of that. Okay. That actually leads me into this just very quickly. One year ago, I made comments about this particular club and this gala, gala, whatever you want to say, in this organization, and I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I think that it is another click within the conservative movement that I find to be slightly disturbing. Again, while people are suffering, these individuals are getting together and uh, shaking each other's hands and dressing up in tuxedos and eating expensive meals, either in New York or Washington, D.C., wherever this was held. But it is the Young Republicans Club. Sorry. I'm not a part of any kind of club. I never will be, and I don't. I don't like these individuals. Again, Donald Trump spoke at uh, at this gala, and uh, and a bunch of other people were there. Cash Patel and you know uh, other individuals who were hand selected because again they either are naive, they have a voice, they're being used, they play ball. This, I think, from my point of view, it stretches right into what I was, what I brought up also in a previous episode, having to do with the illusion of school choice, and that term choice. That there is another conglomerate that exists on the seeming conservative side of the political wing. That know that people are homeschooling, and so they're setting up a separate entity, like Hillsdale College, for example. They're setting up a separate entity for children to go there instead of attending the American K-12 public school systems, but it's not really too much different. Yes, they might not have the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff, which is good, but they're using the same kinds of tools, and they may, they may employ the same kind of censorship and a lack of critical thinking and free thought and the real questioning of the history that we've been told over the course of centuries here. I view the Young Republicans Club as a very similar kind of organization. They know that that the establishment neocons are going down, but what a naive and, and perhaps unknowing or unwitting person on the outside would see is they would say, well, these younger Republicans are better. These younger groups of people are better. They're not, they're not these old you know, Republicans that are always siding with Democrats. Me personally, I disagree. I just disagree. I think it's another club. I think it's another society. I think it's another, I think it's another con game that really doesn't have the best interests of a free-thinking, God-loving family in mind. So... You've heard me say again, you know, I'm a complete abolitionist when it comes to all of this stuff. I'm very suspicious and always will be, but not even suspicion. It's it's knowledge of the kinds of people that associate with associations, the kinds of people that associate with these groups, clubs, societies. I don't like them. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle they claim to represent, or even if they're outside of a political aisle. I'm not a fan. I'm just not. I'd rather be on the club with Jesus Christ. I would rather be on the club with family and country. That's that's what I would rather do. But not these uh lobbyists, NGOs and these, you know, these handshakers and backpatters uh, and and individuals that are of course doing all of this while real people are suffering. 
I'm sorry. I, I think it's tasteless taking pictures of yourself, uh, you know, at, at, at galas and things like that. I, I, I find it, I find it slightly tasteless. But I also understand that there are smaller meetings that take place among real individual-minded people who go behind the scenes to gather some real intel on what's really going on and, and really gain hardworking Americans' opinions on particular things. That kind of stuff I support. But this, this bigger stuff, these young Republicans club, I'm sorry. You know, it's just, it's not my cup of tea. And it, and it never will be. So there you go. There's always more going on is, is I think, my, my overall point with that. Okay. A couple of education-related things here. First of all, this one came from the New York Post. Uh, you know, rather comical, <laughs> rather stereotypical, unfortunately, of the environment. But don't worry, I'm sure all the parents will send their kids right back. This, again, was from last week, New York Post. Substitute teacher Stephen Canciani, I'm saying that right, arrested for allegedly pulling down pants to, ex to expose himself in class. Classic. Just another classic substitute teacher move. He's been arrested for allegedly pulling down his pants and showing his naked buttocks and genitals to a class full of California sixth graders. 32-year-old, originally from Connecticut, was busted Tuesday after police were called to Anderson Middle School in Sashta County after complaints by horrified students, according to police. It says, quote, the vice principal said that two students came to her office and told her what they could, what they could see Canciani's bare buttocks and that his pants were partially down. <laughs> oh my God. The vetting process for these people is incredible. And again, this is the business. I mean, they're scraping from the bottom of the barrel here in order to get temporary help because they're having a hard time keeping permanent help. Shouldn't that, again, pretty much be indicative of the whole business across the board? That really is the state of affairs here. There is also this story, and again, my apologies on the Gateway Pundit uh, reference here, but it was from their outlet. And I'll, I'll, again, I'll still have to reference their outlet because, to their credit, as awful as they are, they still do bring up some rather interesting education stories from time to time. But this specifically had to do with uh, an Ohio whistleblower who says that schools hiring professionals to push big pharma drugs on children. And here's what it says. It says an Ohio school teacher reached out anonymously to describe an increase in professionals and social workers in schools used to push big pharma drugs on children. The following is from an Ohio teacher who wants to remain anonymous. It says, quote, I've been a middle school teacher for the last 24 years. I've watched young people, more often boys, be affected by, pushing, by the pushing of drugs for ADHD. I myself have filled out the paperwork a thousand times sent by doctors that ask the most ridiculous questions to attempt to determine if a child should be medicated to change the chemical compounds of their brain. These children are already going through chemical changes in their bodies as they are typically of prepubescent, pubescent age. It says, one big problem that I've noticed in the schools lately is that they have not only been adding more and more psych, uh, psychologists rather than psychiatrists to the district, but they're also adding social workers and to the schools at all levels, including elementaries and high schools. 
course, you've heard me bring that up with regularity. This is, uh, this is part of the plan. This is not going away. They're turning these places into medical institutions and mental institutions all at the same time because there's money in it. Uh, and they're interested in the full-blown destruction of children in these environments, along with, of course, the people who work within. So, Bolshevism. It says they are even giving degrees and incentivizing teachers to get added degrees in social work to bring more social workers into districts. This, too, is a very real thing. As you've heard me mention, at the teacher education level, in the universities, they're always trying to get graduates who want to be teachers to be special education teachers and to be certified in that. Why? Because if they don't want to be special education teachers and they just want to teach a particular subject and they get hired for that particular subject, they will get yanked out of that specified subject, whether it be talented and gifted or run of the mill subject matter, and they'll say, we know that you're certified in special education. We need a special education teacher, so we're going to move you over here. And they tell that person against their will. And they say, well, if you want to, if you want to continue to work here, then you're going to have to teach these special education students in this class. That's not really what they signed up for. That's not really what they wanted to do. But now their back is against a wall because they have rent payment and a mortgage payment potentially and a car payment. And now they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. So this is very real. This is not going away. And this is, again, one of the things that's leading to the dissatisfaction of individuals within the business of education. It continues, they said, this is such a mistake. They are trying to add an element of parental trust by using social workers because they believe these people will get parents to do what they want in terms of, in terms of signing IEPs individual education plans, listening to doctors, starting them on meds, and building trust, etc. They said, I sat in on an IEP meeting last week with a parent and five other school professionals, psychologist, occupational therapist, intervention specialist, speech therapist, behavioral health specialist. See all these titles? <laughs> See all these titles of all these people they have in these schools that they call schools? They're mental institutions, and they're trying to be them. It says, where the professionals were concerned that the student wasn't able to sit in his seat and not disrupt classes. The other professionals wanted the parent to consider medication that would keep the student from fidgeting so much and would have him in less hyper, quote-unquote, help him be less hyper, rather, throughout the day. This has been written about at length by endless people. That kind of behavior in a classroom has nothing to do with the child being bad or having ADHD, which doesn't exist. That's not a thing. It's just that the child wants to get out of there. That's not how the child learns. The child is a doer. They are not a person who is sitting there and enjoying being told how to think, how to feel, what to write, what to watch, etc., etc. Again, this backs right into what Thomas Jefferson said, which, which meant that not everybody is educatable 
but also not everybody learns in the same environment in the same way. And endless people have said this over the course of centuries. It wasn't just him. This goes back to Plato and Socrates even, and even before him. But it's, it's beyond ridiculous that, that educators believe that this kind of behavior is the thing that is so disruptive, and now we have to drug the ever-living hell out of them because that's the solution. A quiet child is a successful child. A quiet and drugged child and a subdued child is, is the one that we want. That's the one that is listening and behaving and et cetera, et cetera. It's not true. They said the parent was very clear that they had tried medications before and that those medications had changed who their son was and that their son was happy and sweet and they did not want to make any changes to their son's personality. He doesn't cause problems. He doesn't act out or get violent. All he does is take laps around the rooms or step out and get drinks of water or walk around. See, they, they think that's a bad thing. The environment thinks it's a bad thing. It isn't. They said that the parent was clear that he was not interested in medication. These professionals would not let up and continued to push the parent that high school would not be as accommodating as elementary and middle school has been. Well, that's because at the high school level, they would discipline him. At the high school level, they would throw him out of class if he were still to behave that way. What's interesting is, is that that isn't likely to happen at the high school level because he's grown up. He's older. The hormones are starting to balance themselves out at least a little bit. He'd be, you know, the, the, the child would be gaining in size. And again, if there's a chemical imbalance, well, it's just called time. Time can eliminate a chemical imbalance and balance things out a little bit. But they're trying to trick people into believing that growing up is somehow a disability. Well, that's satanic, isn't it? That's Zionistic. And then what is pressuring parents into doing a thing that they don't want to do that actually causes harm to their own child? That's Bolshevism. It's one of many tactics, but that's one of them. It says they were trying to intimidate and scare him into considering the medication. He was very clear that he wasn't interested, but if they keep it up over the next few years, that it will be hard for him to continue to fight that kind of push. No, it won't. Pull your child out. I've seen it time and time again over the years. These professionals will continue to push this parent. They will continue to send emails and progress reports detailing the distractions that this child causes in the classrooms, and they will continue to tell the parents that their child is causing other students to miss out in their educational opportunities because of his behavior. Well, jokes on all of them. There are no educational opportunities in American K-12 schools. It doesn't exist. It's over. The veil's been lifted. The cat's out of the bag. It wraps up here, and it says, This will become overwhelming, and I fear the parent will give in because they trust the professionals. Unquote. Well, I don't think they trust them. I think it's pretty clear that they don't. And the only option is to leave. It's the only option to leave, the, to leave these abusive environments. You've seen the coercion that they've used regarding something that doesn't even exist. 
with the COVID lie and the mask wearing. Well, joke's on them, ADHD doesn't exist either. Now, it could be vaccination injury, but that's not even ADHD. That's a, again, ADHD is a made-up term as a result of, of what would be vaccination injury. However, if there's no vaccinations being taken, maybe it's poor diet. Maybe it's a lack of exercise. Or maybe it's none of those things. Maybe the child just has a particular way that they learn, and the school never accommodates the way that they learn because they can't. Maybe the child's brilliant. Maybe there's that. Maybe the child who recognizes that the environment is unnatural and that this child needs his hands on things and that this child needs to be doing things and building things potentially and and moving around. They're clearly a bodily kinesthetic learner, which isn't a bad thing. And then, of course, they're, they're, they're probably tactical. Once they get their hands on something and they start moving around and thinking about something, then they start to actually produce something. The American K-12 school environment's not built this way. Just isn't. Although, again, in this whistleblower's claim, when they say that those quote-unquote health professionals, which they're all psychos, but when they say that that child is going to have a hard time at the high school level once they reach the high school level, I would say the exact opposite is true. If this individual gets themselves into a trade and they start learning a trade where their hands are on things and they're building something, they're not going to have trouble. They're going to flourish in that environment. Where they're going to have a hard pro- uh, uh, you know, a hard time rather, is, is if they're in some kind of a classroom where they're learning about sex. And they're learning about all the perversions that, that get taught within those classrooms in this day and age. That's, that's going to be problematic for them. So they're not going to have a hard time in a high school environment as long as they make their way to, again, a, a, a county tech center wh- where they start to learn an actual trade instead of attending an actual typical high school. But the parent has got to pull them out and start doing homework about where, you know, what, what kind of an environment would, would better suit the child. But right now, I would say the home is the safest place. It's not the American K-12 school with all of those pseudo-health professionals trying to push drugs on them that will ultimately lead to their mental and emotional destruction as a child. It can't happen. Government is your enemy. Government is our enemy, our enemy, our collective enemy, and schools are government. We have to stop handing our children over to government. We have to protect them from government, or we're going to lose our children to government. And what's government's plan for our child? It's death. Because that's what not knowing the truth always leads to. It leads to people getting hurt, believing things that aren't real, having their mind manipulated. And then they head out into society, and they're either just like the other brainwashed goons, or they're going to be mocked and made fun of by the more knowledgeable, because the more knowledgeable are going to say, you're brainwashed, you're too far gone, I can't do anything with you, we can't do anything together. And then that creates the divide in society that we see today. So it's remarkably unfortunate, but my God, we have to get them out. And we have to make the leap. And it's a leap of faith, but 
believe me, it's one that no one will regret. You won't regret it. Okay, jab stuff, here we go. Pfizer's back is up against a wall for a variety of reasons. And this is getting more and more interesting, I think, with time. There are numerous studies now that are continuing to pour out. Of course, I've been over a great deal of them. There's no way I can get to all of them because there's just too many. But it's just flying out everywhere that, uh, that Pfizer's under attack, Moderna is under attack. The studies that are coming out are going right after them, proving autoimmunity, proving AIDS, proving endless conditions that, as we know, the mainstream media is completely covering up. And again, it's also being reported now in many outlets, which is absolutely ironic and hilarious, but at the exact same time, I'm glad it's happening, that the autoimmune conditions from the jabbed are being exposed as being the quote-unquote variants. You heard me say a long time ago, the variant thing was a complete and utter lie, and it is. There are no variants. There are no mutating viruses. This is not a thing that exists. There are people that have consumed poison. The poison is having a negative effect on the cells in the body and multiple body systems ranging across races of people, ages of people, based on a variety of pre-existing conditions that exist, not to mention all the other things that those people put in their bodies. The liquids, the foods, lack of exercise or exercise, whatever it is that they do or don't do. and, And then, of course, the symptom that pops up as a result of all of those conditions That's your so-called variant. It's not a real variant the way that the virologists would lead a person to believe. It's just a plethora of conditions that come about as a result of having permanently damaged DNA and a compromised immune system, and that is called AIDS, Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. So this is continuing to come out, and this is continuing to be a big, big deal. Which leads me to this. This is from slaynews.com and it is titled 25% of vaxxed now have VADES, vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Cambridge scientists warn. Now, this is a bit misleading. I'm going to read through this because it's rather short, but uh, it's, it's interesting nonetheless. They use, of course, word manipulation to justify why they've all of, all of the sudden discovered this. It says, quote, a bombshell study conducted by top scientists at the world-renowned Cambridge University in England has concluded that 25% of all people vaccinated with COVID mRNA shots now have vaccine-acquired immune deficiency syndrome. According to the study, one in four people who received a COVID mRNA injection suffered an unintended immune response. However, the scientists note in their paper that the unintended immune response, quote-unquote, was, quote, created by a glitch. Nope. See, therein lies the problem. They have to publish a paper on this because it's unavoidable. So in the interest of publishing a paper, so they again continue to, to receive accolades for their work, what they have to do is is they have to justify the presence of a poison inside of a body by calling it a glitch. This was no glitch, and this is not a glitch. 
If anybody believes that messenger RNA works inside of the body or that pumping the body full of poison is somehow going to make it better, that person is foolish. Has nothing to do with that. It continues, it says, while the Cambridge scientists and corporate media outlets attribute the damage, see, they're working together. I mean, let's face it, it's Cambridge. Uh, And corporate media outlets attribute the damage as a quote-unquote glitch or unintended response, quote-unquote. Experts have been raising the alarm for some time about the effects on individuals' immune systems. Hmm, we sure have. We sure have. Since the start. Since the start. It says Slay News has long been reporting on such findings. Quote, Cambridge scientists found such vaccines were not perfect and sometimes led to nonsense proteins. They call them nonsense proteins. That's funny. Yeah, that's an understatement. Made in, were being made instead of the desired COVID spike, which mimics infection and leads to antibody production. Now see again, that's not true. Because the virology lie and the vaccination lie depend on the presence of something existing in, in nature. And that's not true either. You see, the whole flu shot lie ties right into this. They've always said, well, there's a flu going around. And we're going to basically guess as to which quote-unquote virus is flying around in the air that you happen to breathe or get snotted on or coughed on. And, but if you get a flu shot, that will protect you. That's the fairy tale. The joke is, is that the poison is the shot. The poison is what you think as the flu. There's no isolated virus or anything. It's just isolating a poison and then picking a poison to inject into people. It continues, it says, quote, It was thought the minor tweak to uh, uridine caused no problems in cells. But a team of researchers at the University of Cambridge's Medical Research Council Toxicology Unit have now found when this partially synthetic code is read, the protein-making medicine in the body sometimes struggles with the uridide analogs. All of that sounds complicated. Let me simplify it for you. Translation. When you put poison in the body, the body goes, what in the hell is this poison doing to me? Get this out of me now. And then it overreacts because it's trying to get rid of poison. So how do you prevent that? You don't put poison in your body. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. It says, quote, these findings were shared with medicines regulator MHRA around a year ago. And the scientists say that the updated vaccines that use the improved form of mRNA and that they are in the works for cancer jabs and other therapeutics, the report adds. Mark my words. If anybody takes this to quote-unquote suppress cancer, they're not going to make it. This is causing cancer, as we all know, at a rapid rate. It's bringing back cancers that no longer existed in people. This is a problem, a big one. It continues, it says, The outlet reported that mRNA injections can trigger small fiber neuropathy and postural 
orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or POTS. The Cambridge study found that COVID shots create a nonsensical and harmless protein that would be attacked by the body. This response leads to an immune system flare-up. Of course, the immune system flaring up is not a harmless issue. That's correct. It is not a harmless issue. It's AIDS. It says the damage caused by the immune system, immune system rather, could be behind a number of adverse reactions. That's an understatement. For example, political commentator Megyn Kelly developed an autoimmune issue after her COVID shot, as Slay News reported. She's had three of them. So she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but remember, she's out there now trying to act as if she's the cat's pajamas. Like we're all supposed to just bow down to Megyn Kelly again because, well, I'm that old familiar face from Fox News that everybody remembers, and yes, I took the jabs, but still listen to me. I've made endless mistakes, and I never learned my lessons, and keep listening to me. <laughs> okay, I don't think so. She's not credible in the slightest. I'm shocked that anybody would hire her even for dog catcher. It continues and says the former Fox News star revealed in September that she's been diagnosed with VADES. Well, that means AIDS. That's all. And it just continues talking about Megyn Kelly, which I just don't care. So there you go. In fact, in the actual study specifically, it said it was at least 25% of the jabbed now have AIDS. Uh, you can call it VADES, whatever. It's still AIDS. It's a permanently damaged immune system, and it's upwards of 30%, so they said. That's just one study from Cambridge. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that's a low-ball number. That's a low-ball percentage. I think it's far worse. There's also this article. This was titled from anonmags.com, The Real Side. It is titled, Official Study Warns Vaccinated More Likely to Suffer from Herpes, Blood, Disor uh, blood Disease, rather." and hair loss. Now, isn't that interesting? Aren't there far more medical-related and symptom-related and condition-related commercials on TV and radio now than ever before? Does anybody think that there's not a correlation between these, between the jabs and the presence of those commercials? I'll never forget uh, seeing a couple of weeks back an alopecia areata commercial. Just rapid hair loss, specifically among adults, which again is typically brought about by two things, vaccination and stress, but mainly vaccination. It's also brought about as a result of radiation poisoning. And there's a lot of symptoms associated with hair loss, of course, and radiation poisoning, but specifically radiation poisoning and the kinds of physical reactions that we're seeing among the jabbed specifically the COVID shots. It's incredible. It says the following here in this article, several official new studies have warned that vaccinated people are more prone to catching herpes, developing serious blood diseases, and losing their hair. Korean scientists looked at data from the Korean National Health Insurance Services to compare health outcomes between vaccinated and unvaccinated people. Consistently across the board, vaccinated people are much sicker than unvaccinated people. Again, not new, but 100% true. It says Infowars.com reports in one of the studies they looked at, which, by the way, Alex Jones is back on X. Don't think that matters, but it, it shifts the uh, 
it shifts the social paradigm a little bit and pisses off the leftists, so that works for me. Researchers discovered that rates of 13 different immune-related non-fatal adverse events, or IRAESs, are notably higher among the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. These non-fatal problems include menstrual disorders, bruising, tinnitus, inner ear disease, and other forms of ear disease. And if memory serves, isn't one of the, well, I don't know if that alopecia commercial is a Pfizer commercial or not, but it is a commercial bouncing around that I have seen. It says, quote, vaccination significantly increases the risks of non-fatal IRAESs wrote a Dr. N. Mi Chun and colleagues from the Yua Women's University's School of Medicine. The, cri- the criteria, rather, here uh, that the researchers looked into were the records from people aged 20 and up, those who received their second dose who were completed and who completed, rather, a primary series of Wuhan coronavirus COVID-19 injections before September 30th of 2021, were counted as vaccinated, while the unvaccinated, quote-unquote, only included people who never received any injections. The vaccinated group included 1.4 million people, while the unvaccinated group included just 289,576 people. The latter group skewed younger with fewer comorbidities. It also says here that vaccinated people suffer higher rates of warts, herpes, and hair loss again. After examining diagnoses among two cohorts three months after vaccination, researchers discovered that the incidence per 10,000 people was higher in the vaccinated groups for all but one of the problems, visual impairment. Rates of glaucoma or vision loss, warts, herpes zoster, and alopecia, which causes hair loss, were all higher in the vaccinated group. The findings of this study suggest that clinicians should maintain closed observation of a range of non-fatal IRAESs after vaccination, given that these manifestations might emerge post-vaccination, the researchers wrote. I would add a simple observation that This is my take, and I'm sure there's ample evidence that proves it, but I would be willing to guess that there are more minor children, and I'm talking about even toddlers into the uh, early elementary and early teenage years who are wearing glasses and corrective eyewear as a result of all vaccinations, even the ones administered at birth. That yes, it's the iPads, yes, it's the television screens, computer screens in school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I have no doubt that that's part of the problem. But vaccination, of course, is certainly a part of the problem because aluminum in the bloodstream damages eyesight. Not to mention all the other carcinogens and toxins that exist within shots. So, ask the question, are you seeing more minor children wearing corrective eyewear than ever before? And are those individuals jabbed with anything? I'd venture to guess yes. It says here in another study, they looked at records examined from the Korean National Health Insurance Service and revealed that the vaccinated are more likely than unvaccinated to suffer blood disorders and other hematologic abnormalities, including aplasmic anemia, 
a rare condition in which a person's body is unable to produce enough red blood cells, or new blood cells, rather. It says, quote, the analyzed data showed that nutritional anemia, aplastic anemia, and coagulation defects increased after COVID-19 vaccination. It then says that in a third paper, also in preprint, like the others, looked at inflammatory musculoskeletal disorders in relation to COVID-19 injections. Just like the other diseases, these, which include plantar fasciitis, brucitis, and Achilles uh, tendinitis, were also found to be notable among notably rather, higher among the vaccinated compared to the unvaccinated. Again, I would go so far as to say that it's not just the COVID jabs that do that, but all vaccinations. Certainly worse, I'm sure, with the COVID jabs too. It says, quote, individuals who received COVID-19 vaccines, either mRNA, viral vector, or mixing the 277 matching, mixing and 277 matching, were found to be more likely to be diagnosed with inflammatory musculoskeletal 278 disorders compared to those who did not. It says Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, the two companies that were licensed to produce the jabs for the Korean market, reportedly did not respond to any requests for comment about the findings. It wraps up and says, quote, in this case, the various types of illness in different organ systems suggest a consistent toxic effect from the vaccines, says Dr. Merrill Nass, an outspoken American doctor. Quote, given the autopsy findings and the side effects attributed to other vaccines and the known physiological mechanisms of the vaccines, toxicity, plausibility exists. No doubt. It's not even plausible anymore. This is a certainty. It's just a certainty, and it's going to continue to happen. And isn't it funny, again, how the foreign invader coming from China across the Pacific Ocean, so to speak, is no longer in the news? That that quote-unquote new variant and, oh my God, RSV, you know, this, this massive new outbreak of some virus that doesn't exist is all of a sudden not in the news anymore, and it didn't take very long, did it? It might be in some outlets still, but it didn't take very long because the one commonality among all of the individuals who are getting ill is that they're all jabbed with the COVID shots. And just like that, just like monkeypox, it's all gone. It's all disappeared. <laughs> in the blink of an eye. Uh-oh, what's that thing they all have in common? Uh, we, we can't talk about this anymore. Just stop talking about it. If they get sick, they get sick, and the medical industry will get all the money that they need. But, uh, you know, we as the media, we can't bring this up anymore. And then they don't. Because the people who were getting monkeypox back then were whom exactly? That's right. They were gays who were jabbed. It's that simple. And they stopped talking about it also. Why? Because pets were getting it and children were getting it. Uh-oh, what did that mean? What's the correlation between some people who happen to be gay, who happen to be jabbed, babies and animals? I'll let your mind wander on that one. But that also is why the media stopped bringing it up. And then, of course, Don Lemon, I believe, got. Uh, Got old monkey pox around his mouth and, hmm, wonder why that happened. Allegedly, allegedly. 
Okay. I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, the Surgeon General from Florida here, you know, Dr. Lapido, late to the party, too bad. But either way, he's put out another memo here, and he is stating, of course, that altered DNA and DNA fragments have been found within the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. And uh, this raises concerns, as he says, regarding the presence of nucleic acid contaminants in the improved Pfizer and Moderna vaccines particularly in the presence of lipid nanoparticle complexes in simian virus 40, SV40, and he goes on and on and on. This is fantastic, but again, the damage is done. Either way, this should scare the entire medical industry, not just in the state of Florida, but everywhere. Someone has to pull the trigger on this. I honestly thought, again, here we are at the end of 2023 coming up, And I honestly thought that the jabs would have been pulled off the market by now. In fact, I think I wrote in last year's Substack in December, I said, you know, probably this year, I said that we were going to see the elimination of these shots and and watch them get pulled off of the market. I could have been a year too early, but I think that uh, this is likely something that's going to occur in 2024, potentially, although maybe not. Maybe they will just continue to make the same poison that's in those shots ubiquitous across the board in multiple shots. But either way, at least Lapido's out there saying that this is in fact an actual fact. And it's remarkably dangerous and people were not told about this. And there you have it. So again, if that kicks the ball down the hill, which builds momentum, which gets these shots off the market permanently, I'm telling you, that's going to send the people who took them into an absolute tailspin. They're not going to know what to do or where to go. And same thing with the doctors and the nurses. You talk about creating medical panic, the likes of which the industry has never seen before. I I honestly believe that that would certainly cause it. So there you have it. Okay. A couple of things in the description below. The first thing, of course, is the episode with Jesse James and Truth for Oxford and myself. I will link that in the description. And then I will also link a documentary which I have not watched yet, but I heard about it, and then I was reminded about it by our Michigan business friend, and it is titled The Lobby. And it is approximately three hours long, and it has, again, to do with the Zionistic influence within American government and industry. So check that out if you are interested. It will be in the description below. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.